as I was thinking and praying about uh, the particular message for today, for our, our fifth Sunday, for our, what we call our youth Sunday, but really it's a, it's a family worship Sunday, um, I really honed in on that word family, and therefore I called this a family affair, uh, a family of Christ, family of God, coming together, of course, as the platonic family, the, 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 the caregivers, the parents, and the children, but also as our, our greater family, brothers and sisters in Christ. And if you see your picture up there, it, we didn't get your permission, I know, to put your, put your picture up there. Um, however, if you, um, if you have an issue with that, you can talk to Indra. So... Um, but this is our family, right? I mean, yeah, the, the, the good, the bad, the ugly, the, 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 uh, the scars, the, but also the joys, the celebrations. And this is what we consider our family. And there's certain things in our family that we remember, uh, specifically when you think about your own uh, personal family, your own household. There's certain things that make our families memorable, and certain things that are, I guess, experiences that we have that kind of, I don't know, that they kind of brand themselves in your memory forever. For me, when I was a kid, it was always traveling, and traveling not as every other family did whenever I was a kid, but our family traveled by airplane everywhere we went. That was because my father was a, uh, was a lifetime Delta employee, and as a lifetime Delta employee, all of us kids as a family, we had, um, we had what's called non-revenue status whenever it came to flying, so we were able to fly anywhere we wanted to for free. Now, as a family of six, you can imagine that this was quite an affair, getting six people all together to get on a plane to fly to wherever you wanted to go, and I was, I was a little bit frustrated whenever I got older because I felt like I missed out on a lot on road trips, you know, just people, you know, punching, and, you know, kids punching and kicking each other and hating that you don't, don't touch me or, you know, you looked at me crooked or whatever it is that you do, but, you know, and, but my friends, they were up, but yeah, you get to fly everywhere you go, and, you know, these, these things are just kind of branded in my memory, specifically how we had to fly, and that's because in the 80s, for, for those of you who don't under, you know, were born before 2010, uh, in the 80s, there was an expectation that if you were an employee of the airline and you were flying for free, then you had to represent the company well. And in representing the company well, that means you had to dress up to get on the plane. And I'm talking about dress up, suit, tie, the whole nine yards, slacks, to take a plane ride to wherever you wanted to go. So as we're walking through the airport, family of six, people knew as you're walking through that either you were non-rev, you were a Delta employee flying for free, or you were a Jehovah's Witness family that was about to go. There was one of the two. But I remember specifically, we would get, as a family, we would all dressed up to the nines, get on the flight, and one, my dad would, because we, we didn't really afford to do a whole lot of travel, we could do these day trips because flying was so easy. Uh, we could, t we, like, this one particular time, we took a day trip to Fort Lauderdale, and we flew, we, we all got dressed up at the crack of dawn on one morning, we all got dressed up, we got on the plane, we flew to Fort Lauderdale, um, my dad rented a car for the day, and we went to the, the beach um, bathrooms there, changed clothes into our bathing suits, went to the beach for the day. We weren't going to stay the night because as a family of six, you would have to have two hotel rooms, and he wasn't about to do that. We were going to catch the late flight back to Atlanta and be home that night. 
So if you can imagine what it was like putting that suit back on after you are filled with salt and sand and everything else, oh, it was miserable. But it had this, this wonderful memory in my head, and I know that my brother and sisters probably have the same memory. And it's those type of memories, I think, that stick with us forever. You know, the, the prophet Moses had this expectation of memories within a family that he thought we should also be willing to, to have branded in our families together. In fact, it wasn't just his idea. He got this idea, of course, from the voice of God himself. And that's why our vocal verse this morning, and for all of us, is just going to be really simple. It's going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Now, you have on your bulletin specifically two verses, 6 and 7, but I'm going to give us a larger context of this verse. And what has happened just previous to this, um, to this event where Moses is giving this um, this teaching to all of Israel and to all the families. He has come down from the mountain. He has received the law from God, and he's giving the law to all of Israel. And he's telling them, all right, listen, you're not just a nation. You're not just a people, but you're a family, and you're a big family, and you're a small family because you are a family of families. And he says, these are the memories, these are the specific values that should be instilled in your family all the days of your life. And the centrality of that memory, of that particular value in that family, was going to be the law, the word of God. Let's read what Moses spoke to the nation of Israel there in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. He says, listen to Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. I love the fact that he uses the, um, the, the plural there, that he calls it our, not the Lord your God. He doesn't set himself apart. He says, the Lord, I'm part of you. I'm part of your family. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord your God, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You see, what Moses is trying to instill on the family of Israel is there's a specific memory, there's a specific recollection of something that he wants every family to always come back to. And that is that the word of God, the law would be written on their hearts, and not just written on their hearts, but passed down to every single family member. And the way that he says that, he, that it should be passed down is by living the word of God out. You see, the first thing that he says is that the words that I'm giving you, he said that I'm giving to you today, needs to be in your heart. Now, when we first think about the word of God, the truth of the scripture being in our heart, you know, our first thought is, as, um, as Westerners, we think about the organ, the thing that beats in our chest, right? This very, boom, 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 that, that heart. 
But in Old Testament psychology and, and in the, the, the Near East culture, their idea of the heart was the center of the person. In fact, it was not just that emotional, it was not just that, that, that gut feeling that they expected that you would feel in your heart that would direct your paths. It was actually going to be the, 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 the intellectual and the rational side of the human being was in their heart. When you think about that central aspect of just who you are, I mean, think about, uh, think about heart in, in the um, context of like artichoke hearts or you go to the heart of the city. It's right in the center, and everything flows out of that. And that was his expectation. It wasn't just about being in your gut or being in your mind. He was saying it needs to be the central part of who you are, how you think, how you relate, and how you behave. And he says, now, once that word is in your heart, then verbally, and as Christ said himself, what, out of the heart, out of the mouth comes, the, comes what's in the heart, right? So only once the word of God is in our heart, then can we speak the words of truth of Scripture. And he says to speak them to your children. Repeat them to your children. And don't just talk about them one time. Don't just talk about them on Sunday. Talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and whenever you get up. You see, this expectation that Moses is setting forth is that this is all aspects of life. From adults to children, from parents to children, from caregivers to children, in all aspects of life, Repeat these words of life, of light. The, the word, the truth of Scripture, the law of God written on our hearts. You see, because sitting, when he talks about do it when you're sitting down, that represents whenever you're not doing anything. You're just sitting there in activity. When you're walking, the opposite of inactivity, it means whenever you're doing stuff. So you're talking about it when you're not doing anything, and you're talking about it when you're doing everything. And the next thing he says, and talk about it whenever you're lying down, when you're sleeping. When you go to bed, and also talk about it whenever you're getting up, when you're awake. So I believe, unless you are from another planet, that encompasses every aspect of your life and mine. Because we're either doing nothing, we're doing something, we're sleeping, or we're awake. Of all times. Now, if I missed one, we'll talk later, and I'll get you a doctor. Moses is saying of every aspect of our lives, we have to be filling our children and our families with the Word of God. You know, I often tell my own kids whenever we go to bed at night, and, and they talk about wanting to have pleasant dreams, and I remember this verse, think about it, talk about it when you're lying down. And I say, you know what, when you dream tonight, whenever you go to sleep, go to sleep thinking about the goodness of God. Go to sleep thinking about and really pondering how much Jesus loves you. And that way it's the last thing that they hear before they close their eyes. Jesus loves you, God has a plan for you, has a purpose for you, there's a hope for you in Christ. 
And it's amazing how well they sleep at night. And I do the same thing. You know, it's not just for them, but because that word, uh, uh, my, my hope is, is planted in my heart, that when I go to sleep, and I'm restless, and I can't think about anything but the day's activities or tomorrow's activities, is I hear God saying, I'm sovereign. I love you. Don't worry about anything. I've taken care of everything. Everything that you need, I'll provide for you. And in the morning, before I get out of the bed, I pray, and it's like 30 seconds. And it's, God, everything that I do today, let it glorify you. Be a part of everything that I do, everything that I say today. It's really quick, it's really simple, but, but I go to sleep and I wake up with the word of God on my heart. And not necessarily the verbatim vocabulary that's in the word, but the, but the, the very value, the very guts of who God is, his very characteristic is written in the core of our being. You see, there's another holistic approach that Moses Moses has written about that I think that sometimes we can miss as we're reading this section as well. You see, because as he's writing this particular, uh, these particular verses in Deuteronomy, he starts in chapter 6 and he says, make sure these words today are in your heart. And he's talking about there, we could almost say that's the individual person. And then the very next sentence, and he says, talk, them, talk about them to your children. Then he expands that to the family. And then when we get down to verse 8, he says, to bind them on a, as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol to your forehead, on your forehead. Now, the Jews would take this literally and they would bind scriptures on their hands and on their foreheads. But what I believe that God was telling Moses to do is like, make the word of God the truth of who I am be always on the forefront of who you are, how you think. Because what is on our forehead in this, in this culture? It's how we think, it's how we relate, right? And what's our hand? It's how we serve the things we're doing. Let it be the things that you're thinking about, let it be the things that you're doing. So not only is it something that I am, it's something that I'm giving to my children, but it's also something that I'm testifying about to the world around me about how I think and the things that I do. And then he goes even further than that, and he says, write them on the doorposts of your house. So he starts with the person, then the family, and then he says, now your whole household. Now in that time, the, the, the parents and the children weren't just a part of the household. There were servants, there were slaves. So everybody in the household needs to be taught these things. Maybe not literally go and write the scripture on the doorposts of your household. But have your household dedicated to the truth of the word of God. And then he says to place them on your gates. Expanding that now to the village. He says it's so important it needs to encompass the person, the family, the household and in the village. 
And you think about it today. If we were to have a, a county, a city, a state, a country that had every village that was full of households, that was full of children, that was full of individuals that had the word of God written on their hearts. The prayers that we pray for constantly for this country and this world to turn to God would all of a sudden be fulfilled, wouldn't they? But as we get back to that micro level, it all starts with the individual. Those of us adults in our household we need to take care to make sure that the words of God are written on our hearts. That it is something that we are not just have given ourselves over to, but that is something that we are making an example of. And then don't be afraid to continue to talk about all of these things to your children, to your grandchildren, to the kids that maybe you've been entrusted to here at the church whenever you're serving. Dedicate your household to it. Dedicate your community to it. It's a family affair. And the strength of the future generation, the strength of the future generation continues to get stronger every time we recommit ourselves to this very thing. So we have a, a fantastic example of a family here today that has taken the time to make the Word of God central to their family and to their children. And it produces fruit, my friends. It produces fruit. I want to ask if Andrew... Andrew, why don't you come up here? If you guys have not met Andrew, this is Andrew Williams. And Andrew is, to me, is a perfect example of the very thing that we're talking about here this morning. We've, I got a chance to meet and talk with Andrew. He's had, um, has been reading through scripture, which wouldn't be a, a value of your household had your parents not made that a value, would it? So you've been reading through scripture, and what you told me something that as you're reading the Bible, what had it convinced you of in this, this environment of Bible study in your house? Well, I felt like it was time to get baptized. You felt... And who, who told you that? The Bible. The Bible told you that. All right. You see what I'm saying? The Word of God started in the heart. It was spoken about in the home. And it continued to be studied. And it wasn't anything special that maybe Josh or Ashley said in their house. It was the Word of God that had been planted in their house that then spoke to Andrew through his spirit. So today... We all get to celebrate Andrew and his baptism because he has been um, convinced through the word of God written on his heart now that he wants to make Jesus Christ his Lord and Savior and he wants to identify himself now with Jesus Christ and not with Andrew. Am I right? I'm not speaking out of turn, am I? All right, excellent. So Andrew, before you guys go up, um, I just want to ask you, and just, just so for everyone to know, and for everyone to hear, and, and should we use a microphone? All right. And which one should we use? You can use that one. All right. I'm going to give you that one, because I think they can hear me through this one. All right. So, Andrew, in your study and in your, your conviction that you've had through, through your study, through your prayer time, and just what, what God's spoken about to you, do you recognize through the, in the midst of that that you are a sinner in need of a Savior?
Yes. And do you recognize as well that as you have known now that you are a sinner, that you have zero capacity to save yourself from those sins? Yes. And when you realize that you didn't have any capacity to save yourself, what we've talked about in my office is that you look then and recognize that it was actually Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that had the authority to save you from your sins. Yes. Amen. One last question. This is an easy one. You mentioned to me that you decided that not only did you recognize and want to receive the forgiveness of sins from Jesus, but that you wanted Christ to be your Lord. Yeah. And you know, you realize what that means, right? Uh-huh. You got an idea? Give me. Like actually following him and ha- doing what he asks you to do. Amen. Following Jesus, doing what he asks you to do. You are no longer your Lord, Jesus Christ is. I'm going to pray for Andrew. One of the really cool things, the family affair, Josh, his dad, is actually going to baptize Andrew. And this be a testimony as well for all of you parents out there and you kids and students and adults. For those of us who are baptized believers in Christ, we're given the authority in Christ to baptize. And Andrew, that's going to be something that you have to take on as a responsibility as well, okay? Father, I'm grateful for Andrew. I'm grateful for his love for you. Lord, I'm grateful for this family that has made um, your word and your love and your truth a central part of their household. And Lord, we are seeing evidence, Lord, that, that you through your spirit and through their humility and through their obedience that you are working in lives and saving souls. Father, I pray for Andrew. I pray that he continues to remember this day as the day that he dies to himself, to his selfish desires, his selfish wants and needs, and he he lives to Christ. He looks to Jesus as his Lord, his Savior, his leader, his shepherd from now and forevermore. Amen.